0: Welcome to Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. On the show, our team of industry experts interviews contingency fee attorneys. You will discover everything from how they got started to the secrets of their success and what's working in today's marketplace. And now, here's the Case Closed Podcast.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have another session of the Case Closed Podcast, and we have our first and ever attorney who specializes in contingent litigation in business cases. Mark, please introduce yourself to the audience.
2: Max, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, I'm Mark Chateau. Um, I've been a uh, business litigator for 10 years. Uh, I was in business for 20 years before that. So that's what's given me the impetus to start my practice and uh, happy to be
1: here today to talk to you a little bit more about what I do. Well, let's get into what kind of cases do you handle and. How bad do you beat up the other business? (laughs) So
2: I handle business litigation exclusively, and my business litigation cases are typically segmented even further to where I'm only handling cases uh, usually for a business owner or a business person um, who's been harmed by somebody else. And I try very hard to be on the side of the case where I represent the good guy. Uh, I've got an 11-year-old son. And that's his standard. Got to be able to tell him at bedtime that I'm representing the good guys. And
1: uh, that's at least how they all start out. All right. And what's the biggest recovery you obtained or the biggest settlement without giving the name of the parties? So biggest settlement I've obtained was uh, mid-seven
2: figures. And the biggest recovery we've retained uh, or obtained in trial uh, was a little less than seven figures. It's an interesting area of the law that we practice in, especially in contingency. Uh, A lot of the cases that we get involved with, we take them specifically because there's not a high chance that they're going to go to trial. So we don't try a lot of cases, uh, but when we do, we've got a good track record.
1: Uh, How often do you do civil RICO claims? I
2: don't do civil RICO claims at all.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, in the world of business litigation, why don't you do any civil reco claims? So
2: at least on the contingency side of it, um, we try to keep things fairly clean in my world. And you know, I use the analogy uh, that I like to use of, of playing poker. Uh, when you're in a poker game, particularly No Limit Hold'em, uh, you get your two cards. They've got their two cards in the other side. You both know what those are. Uh, and then you've got a fairly limited amount of information that's going to come down the pipeline after that, right? You've got uh, additional cards that are going to get flipped over. And if we start bringing in claims like civil RICO, at least on the contingency side, uh, for us, it gets to be difficult to predict what those cards are going to look like. Um, We don't like to bring claims where we're not certain uh, how the courts gonna view them. Uh, in California, in particular, uh, civil Rico has had its day, and then it's had its day where it's not viewed in the same way. And part of it is, you know, when I first started my practice, I co-counseled with an attorney that really had a negative view on civil Rico. It had risen up; it had had its rise. Uh, he had done some cases uh, that brought those claims, and he had seen that the. Uh, courts were looking at them askew at a certain point. And so I think I may have been uh, you know, somewhat influenced by that because I came from 20 years of business rather than 20 years of litigation before I started my practice 10 years ago. Uh, so I think that was part of it too.
1: All right. Uh, do you ever recommend to your clients to buy insurance, which is on the market that covers if they are ordered to pay attorney's fees and costs to the other side if they lose?
2: You know, it's something that I have not explored fully, to be honest with you. Um, I heard about it early on in my practice. Um, I, I have not looked into it. Um, so I'll be you, you,
1: you want to because it gives you a great leverage point. Because I'm sure you've had in mediation say say, well, if you lose, you have attorney's fees. And we say, well, we don't care because we have insurance, and then they freak out. Because then you tell you're a better person, we'll go to trial. Uh, when I was a prosecutor, we would just say we got nothing to lose. Let's go pick six. That's that was our phrase.
2: No, that's I, I like it, Max. It, you know, it's funny. Before this call, I was thinking to myself, I want to interview you <laughs> because, like, I've been doing this for ten years as a business litigator. I've got thirty years of experience total. I was in business for twenty years. You know, when I started a company right out of law school, and and learned a lot. You know, so I I know an awful lot about negotiation, how business people think. Um, I'm learning something new every day about practice, so I'd, I'd love to continue this conversation.
1: Well, yeah, that's fine. I'm the opposite. I just reti- I haven't practiced since two thousand and four. So, take products to the Shark Tank people. Uh, when do you remember when Billy Mays was on TV selling insurance?
2: Absolutely. Well, I remember Billy Mays. Um, I remember when he was selling. I think it was OxyClean,
1: right? Well, yeah. Well, he sold insurance. That was mine. So uh, this is one of my, but I, I actually turned in the license last, um, I guess, two months ago and March 3rd, I I retired because I don't, haven't practiced in years. Okay.
2: So so you're a marketing guy or, or I'm a
1: marketing guy and I am trying to redeem myself for all the years that I was an insurance defense attorney. There's a lot of redemption. <laughs> mia culpa, mia culpa. So. See, I guess I'm going
2: the opposite, right? I, you know, I'm litigating after being in business for 20 years. So, you know, I, I got at least another 10 years to, you
1: know, a, a good karma in, in my
2: tank that I can well, still get. But.
1: L- let me bring up another one. You see if you do. How often do you do civil theft? Civil theft, I actually love because
2: in California, you've got 496 uh, on the Penal Code, which gives you treble damages, and that's been uh, established by the Supreme Court in California to be valid at this point. So, I've got a case right now. We've got uh, eight million dollars in base damages, and that's twenty-four million dollars at treble. So, it's a substantial case, and I like the civil theft considerably.
1: Okay. And how do you lay your predicates for civil theft, and when you do your discovery? So the civil theft uh, claims that we actually when we
2: actually bring it, it's going to be pretty evident that it's there. Right. Um, the court, when it made its fairly recent decision, the Supreme Court uh, laid out a nice set of guidelines to bring these cases. And so we you know, go back and we look at those established basically on the facts of the case to make sure that, you know, we're checking those boxes that the Supreme Court's laid out Um that tends to get the council on the other side to sit up and pay attention. Cause I, th- I think there was this perception until that case came out that, eh, you know, it's a, it's civil theft. It's civil theft. Right. I mean, you know, who's going to actually get trouble on that. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and you had this split of authority and and now, you know, the Supreme Court's laid out a really nice foundation for it. And it's not, I don't want to say it's not difficult, but, you know, if you follow the guidelines in that case, you know, it's, it's I think it's fairly clear to
1: establish it. Well, right, and, and it's not dischargeable either. So let me ask you a couple of questions and we'll see if this interview will come up with a new theory. Uh, if someone is misclassified as an independent contractor when they should have been an employee, does that rise under uh, your work comp laws a crime?
2: You know, one of the things that uh, we've talked about, one of the questions that, that we've you know thought about before this was for what's the best advice you ever gotten. Right. Um, right. And uh, the best advice i ever gotten is the smartest people in the world know what they don't know. And the, I don't the, know anything about that.
1: Well, so so I, let, let me tell know. you why you need to look at this. The whole issue of is it a crime, if it becomes a crime, right, then. It's theft of wages. If it's theft of wages, you then get to do two claims, civil theft and RICO because it's theft. All right. Totally legitimate. New way to do it. Scare the crap out of the other side. Here's the other new great leverage point. Eighty three percent of businesses are violating federal law. In what way, young man? And you are much younger than me. My guess
2: living in California, even though you're asking a federal question, would be they're violating federal law based on some employment claim.
1: Well, so the greatest leverage point that you can't threaten but will freak them out is that the person who's signing the 5500 has huge fine exposure because 83 percent of all 401ks are defective. That's the stats from the feds. And you can identify by getting a service, um, there's a couple services out there that'll tell you if a 401k is defective. So, if a 401k is defective, that's another potential claim because it affects the potential uh, viability of someone's retirement benefits. Then you can have fun with them. I like
2: it. Uh... You know, and every day I feel like I I learn something new. We think about something new. Um, It's what I love about the practice, you know, and my philosophy has always been to keep things clean. I had what I thought was a, a nice compliment in a case recently where someone on the other side, when my client reached out to them, wrote a very nasty letter saying, the gentlemen you're suing are very powerful men who will never pay you a penny. They will litigate this for 20 years. Uh, We will not shake them down. You'll never see a dime. Uh, Three days later, because the complaint was already ready, we filed the complaint. Six months later, the case settles, not 20 years. And uh, counsel on the other side said, Mark, I read your complaint and it's very honest. And I said, I appreciate that. He says, well, don't just appreciate it. He says, but that makes it a lot easier to get this case resolved.
1: Yeah, I mean, not every one of the plant's attorney uh, has been given the gift of uh, writing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't necessarily know what they're claiming because they don't make it bullet pointed. Well, all right, let me uh, ask you the following question because you, you are interesting. Um, I'll give you a story and then you tell me if you've ever done anything like this. So I have told clients to stay at the employer not let them know you have an attorney and set them up and document this, that, this, that come up with ruses and document an email back and forth. I had a case where we ended up settling for a very large figure of six figures on a work comp retaliation claim. And I legitimately said, I need you to write a letter to the other attorney. He was still there. Uh, you want him to go, you have to say to the attorney that he didn't do any of these five or six things that are in the unemployment statute so he can get unemployment. So it was a true statement. I just didn't tell him that there was a Supreme Court case the moment they did that. If they didn't put a caveat that it can only be used for unemployment, that stipulation could be used. The moment they did that, they didn't put in the caveat, they fired him. Well, the only reason they fired him is a work comp case. So then, we pointed out to them, uh, guys, uh, if you said this, what's your reason for firing? Well, you you asked it. Of course, I asked it because I want them to get unemployment. I didn't tell you guys about the Supreme Court case. I mean, I figure you guys are smart enough to know that you should put a caveat in there it can be only used for this. But that's not my problem. They freaked out because they they have a big enough because it now they probably would have lost anyway because that was the only reason they were going to fire. Do you do stuff like that? So if I were doing
2: employment-related cases, yes. Um, And I do... Well, you can do that in trade secret stuff. Right. No, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, specific specific to your example, no, but in general, yes. Um, Sometimes advise a client to give the other side enough rope to let them hang themselves. And, you know, we do it in a way that obviously uh, is ethical and appropriate. But when the other side is not playing fair... You've got to be able to handle the case in a way that's going to you know, benefit your client. Ultimately, uh, we are cautious because sometimes those things will backfire. Right. And I'm not saying in your instance, but, but sometimes, you know, you say something, you think you're going to get a response back one way and they come back with something completely different that, you know, then lays the foundation for their side. So they may know what you're doing. Um, well, I'll, I'll give DVD, you, right?
1: since we're doing a fun interview, let's let's yeah. have fun. So I had a case where it was uh, someone we believed was committing work comfort. And so we s- sent a PI. Greatest PI group I ever used. This is the only time in maybe 1500 cases they got found out. Hmm. So they got found out. And I don't know this at the time. And uh, the PI that was doing it was a smoking hot young lady. So she decided to play it and go on a date with the guy. And the guy was supposed to be able to do nothing, right? So she has him jumping and frolicking water, diving in the ocean. He's trying to kiss her, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and goes on for three hours. So I get it, and I go, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my license because my agent had direct contact with someone who's represented by an attorney. Mm -hmm. So I call the bar up, and I say, hey, look, I didn't authorize it. I didn't even know about it. They told me after it was done. But now I have two ethical duties in conflict. They contacted without my knowledge, but I have a zealous duty representing. I got proof that he's fraudulent. So the bar said, you got to go with the duty of, of loyalty and zealous representation. So in order to avoid uh, a uh, nightmare, I figured I got one shot to close this case quick. So I set the deposition of the plaintiff's wife had her come in to identify if this was her husband. That was the whole point. Five minutes later, the case settles. So it could have bit me in the ass. I agree with you. All right. So you already told me the best advice you got. What is the thing you hate most about practicing law? Uh,
2: For me, it's when we've got counsel on the other side that thinks that you've got to be obnoxious and difficult to achieve your client's goals which is, in my experience, the complete opposite. Most of the time, the better relationship you've got with counsel on the other side, the more you're going to achieve your client's goals, ultimately. Um, We had one in particular where he would take, and we took probably 20 depositions in this case, the other side did. And every deposition would start with two hours of questions about why my client or the parties that were being called weren't prepared. And did they read this? And did they do that? And none of it had any relevance to the actual questions that he was asking. And then when he had used up all his time, he brought a motion to compel further responses. And court said, look, you, you did what you were supposed to do. Uh, you know, On the other side, you answer the questions, there's no uh, basis for this, but we wasted massive amounts of time. And mm-hmm. that to me is the most frustrating thing about this practice is that I don't like discovery battles. It's not interesting. It's not fun. Uh, let's get to the meat of the case. There's a lot more interesting things to deal with. And so when counsel on the other side is difficult, that's to me the most challenging part of it. How many cases do you have? Uh, sorry, how many cases do I have right now? Or Yes, sir. Uh, right now I probably have at least 15 that are active. I've got... Um, a Fortune 500 company that I do all of their uh, breach of contract for their commercial cases in Southern California. Uh, so those I don't count because there's a massive volume, uh, but very few of them actually yeah, get litigated. Uh, but I've got a uh, you know nice stable of cases that we're working on actively.
1: Those breach of contract cases, do you ever get to file uh, any torts arising from the breaches?
2: Those contract cases are Pretty straightforward commercial contract. Um, The interesting issue is liquidated damages, which are built into the agreement. Uh, They've done a nice job in their contract of allowing uh, or of aligning with California's perspective on liquidated damages. So they're pretty enforceable, Um, but no tort from them typically. They're just straightforward breach of contract. That's a nice bread and butter uh sort of everyday part of my practice and that's what lets me do a lot of the bigger contingencies. now
1: see this right here is a businessman before an attorney ladies and gentlemen he's balancing the cash flow uh because he's got bread and butter business that pays regularly and at the same time he beats the hell out of the other side if you're in california and you need a contingent business attorney A guy who is business-oriented like Mark needs to be hired and needs to be hired quick. Thank you appearing on the Case Closed podcast. Please stay on the line.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and their insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Case Closed. The Contingency Fee Podcast is led by industry experts who unlock insights from the nation's top contingency fee attorneys. Each week on the show, the guests share how they got started, secrets of their success, and what's working in today's marketplace. Guests on the Case Closed Podcast include successful contingency fee attorneys that will share their secrets so you can close more cases. Tune in each week for a dynamic conversation about winning legal strategies that will grow your business.